gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Karazov Podcast, the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman takes on Starshine, and Superboy becomes Superman in this episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Boys and girls, this is a terrible opening. Welcome to the 90th episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. Wow, I'm only 10 away from 100. Wow. Woo-hoo. Yes, thank you. I am your uh, mild manner host, Charlie Niemeyer, and joining me is the hoo-hoo himself, Michael Bailey. I am the hoo-hoo, yes. <laughs> the I am the terror that flaps in the night. <laughs> Let's get dangerous. No, I uh, <laughs> I probably would have been better if I'd gone hoo hoo, but oh well. Uh, once again, Michael is joining me in part of the in the final part of our four part crossover between Superman of the Bronze Age and Views from the Long Box, where we talk about Superman from the 30s to the 80s, more specifically the final two part story, collectively known as the Miraculous Return of Jonathan Kent, which also helps to coordinate with Michael's celebration of. Superman at 75, the celebration of a legend. It still sounded like a chipmunk. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to go listen to a couple of promos real quick. And when we come back, Michael is going to lead you through Action Comics number 508. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. His strength is incredible. His name is legendary. His battle is never ending. Faster than a speedy bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. (laughs) 
My name is Michael Bailey, and I host an internet radio show called Views from the Longbox. Superman is my favorite character of all time, and in 2013, he is turning 75. Because of this, a large portion of the episodes this year will be about the Man of Steel in a series I'm calling Superman, Superman at 75, 75, the celebration, celebration of a legend. legend. I'm going to mark Superman's birthday in fine style by examining all aspects of the character's history, from the comics, to the movies, to the television series, and beyond, both alone and with the best and brightest of the podcasting world. It may not be every episode, but the bulk of views in 2013 will be all about the Man of Steel. He is the first and greatest superhero of them all, and he deserves no less. Superman at 75. The celebration of a legend. A series within a series, and the biggest birthday card a fan can give his favorite hero, only at Views from the Long Box. Views from the Long Box is a Fortress of Bailey-Tude production. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and for this series, over at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, podcast obsessed. Got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Niemeyer and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. Ah. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, monthly? Well, Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is Go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Alrighty, folks, we are back with Action Comics number 508. It has a June 19- well, it has a June cover date, but it's actually June 1980, because this was before DC put uh, the year on their cover dates. Pa Kent Alive! Superman beaten! His identity revealed! The most unforgettable story of the year, Superman starring in Action Comics... And you have Jonathan Kent still in his suave yellow turtleneck and purple suit going, Thunderation, who could have done that to you, my son? I don't know why Jonathan Kent's a yokel, <laughs> but we're going to go with it. He said it make him like a Kentucky, Thunderation, who could have done that to my son, sir? <laughs> yeah, Your son, the- Lois says, that means Superman is Clark Kent, not Superman standing in my window and he's beaten and and obviously has no pupils, so something's very wrong. <laughs> no, I'm more concerned with the this revelation. Yes. That's what's making her tip her coffee the coffee out of her <laughs> uh cup there. <laughs> Another fantastic Andrew and Giordano cover. Oh, this looks beautiful. You've got 
art on the wall. I mean, this is Lois's apartment, I guess. Well, we find out in the story that it is anyway. You've got there's a box of Kleenex on what I can only imagine is a funky looking TV. Uh, there's the like I said, the art on the wall, lamp, couch, a table that's, with a that's a 13 inch screen, sir. That is that state of the art. <laughs> heck yes, in color. Uh, <laughs> with a looks like a glass tabletop. Uh, fortunately, they're using coasters because you don't want it rings on that. You got the city behind him. Superman's coming through the door, and he—you can see the bruises on his face from what's going to occur inside. Uh, like you said, though, he doesn't have any eyeballs, any pupils, so he's definitely Batmanish right here. It's kind of freaky. <laughs> yes, but uh, oh, this is so pretty. So moving to the inside, this book, by the way, according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, was released on March twenty-fourth. 1980. The Secret World of Jonathan Kent was written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Sciarmonte, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Gene D'Angelo, edited by Julia Schwartz. Jonathan Kent, kindly foster father to Clark, as opposed to Jonathan Kent, abusive foster father to Clark, <laughs> which probably would have been a little darker. Clark Superboy Kent, excuse me, tragically died many years ago and was buried next to his wife, Martha Kent. Charlie, true or false? Uh, true. Okay. Clark Superman Kent and his foster father, Jonathan Kent, stopped by Martha Kent's grave to pay their respects. The time is 1980, and Jonathan Kent is now a spry 70-year-old widower. Who never remarried. True or false? What was the question? No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, he was in the last issue, so... I don't know. True? Well, apparently <laughs> the astonishing answer will be revealed in The Secret World of Jonathan Kent. Oh, cool. <laughs> Jonathan, at the gravesite, explains that once a week he comes to Martha's grave, which I wrote as Grace, which kind of changes that sentence completely, <laughs> to put fresh flowers <laughs> in her grave. On her grave, not into her grave. He doesn't, like, dig it up and put it in. God, my notes suck. Uh, You've made it all the way through two panels. (laughs) Inside, he is in anguish over having to keep up the pretense that he's not, you know, dead. But there are rules that he agreed to so that he could be there. After a quick trip to the Fortress of Solitude, which they act like it's the first time Jonathan's ever been there, but going under the concept that he's been alive all along, he's probably been there before, Jonathan gives Clark a little fatherly advice about settling down with the right woman. Superman dismisses his father's idea that maybe he and Lana should have gotten together when the Marigold twins, April and May, pop by for a visit, which is my, which I think is Clark's way of saying, Pa, why would I settle down with anyone when I have these two hot twins living next door? <laughs> Red-headed twins, by the way. <laughs> they are shocked to see Jonathan there since every able-bodied person over the age of 30 has disappeared, which we find out thanks to a convenient newscast from WGBS, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Expositional News Network. Expositional News, giving out pl- important plot points since 1938. <laughs> the twins leave, unfortunately, and Clark changes back to Superman and flies off to investigate what is going on. Superman gives Metropolis the once-over, and sure enough, outside of the sick and infirmed, everyone over 30 is gone. He finds Perry White, Morgan Edge, and everyone's favorite supporting cast member, Steve Lombard, on the edge of town, and unfortunately, Perry and Morgan aren't burying him. (sighs) But they do fill (laughs) Superman on what exactly happened. 
Superman wonders if they are being kept out by a force field, but the goofy has all get out starshine. Remember him from last time, folks? God, he sucks. <laughs> Pulls him to the sewer and explains that everyone is being kept out, kept out, excuse me, by his please power. He demonstrates this power when Superman grabs him and even has the Superman, uh, excuse me, let me say that again. He demonstrates this power when Superman grabs him and even has the Man of Steel bow at his feet. Meanwhile, Jonathan receives a visit from his alien benefactors. Alien benefactors? Well, like I guess there's an explanation in here somewhere, because they know how Starshine got his funky powers. See, this all has to do with the Superboy issue that came out last month, which is actually kind of cool, and I wonder if people at the time thought that this was awesome, that everything connected. These aliens, who apparently owed Jonathan a solid, transported him to the future... But when they did that, Starshine was exposed by their regimists, which gave Starshine his most secret desire, which was apparently to boss people around. The aliens warned Jonathan that if he tries to interfere, his true desire will be canceled out with Starshines. Jonathan asks to see his boy in battle and discovers that Superman is hurt. He goes to Lois's place to see and to see Superman and finds out that Starshine used his abilities to basically make Superman play a giant game of stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, stop it, clap like a monkey, clap like a monkey, stop hitting yourself. Wow. Proving that Jonathan Kent of any reality or continuity sucks at keeping secrets, he reveals that Superman is Clark Kent to Lois and then gives his blessing for them to be together. Superman and Lois have a lot to talk about, but not before Starshine is, Starshine is stopped. God, that's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Lois and Jonathan have a nice moment together. I mean, they don't make out, which probably would have been a little creepy. But as Superman uses a remote-controlled muzzle to silence Starshine and then ultimately hypnotizes him in defeat, into defeat. excuse me. Later, Clark gets to the studio just in time for the evening broadcast. Lana gives him a note from his father, but everything starts going fuzzy, and the note disappears. From the clouds, Jonathan takes one last look at his son and thanks the aliens for allowing him to see the man his son became. After the broadcast, Clark turns down a dinner with Lana and Lois to keep an appointment to visit the grave of his father. He doesn't know why, but suddenly he feels closer to his parents than ever, especially Pa. The end. Oh, Very sad. Yes. Very well done. Okay. <laughs> Yes, uh, and uh, we'll we'll throw in a couple promos real quick, and then we'll come back with our notes. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, 
then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Okay, wow, sorry I'm late. Let's see, what do we got here? Wow, this, this is a lot more stuff than last time. All this for a new promo for Trendus Magnus Punches Reality? Okay, whatever. No, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm, I'm ready. Let's just bash through this, I got a plane to catch. It's for this year's Golden Headset Awards. Uh, word is my auditory orgasm of a podcast has been nominated for basically everything, and because it's me, we all know I'm going to win, so I really can't be late for this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's, let, let's roll it. Let's roll it. Trentus Magnus punches reality. Listen as Magnus discusses comics, movies, and TV shows. Trentus Magnus punches reality. It's like porn for your ears. Trentus Magnus punches reality. It's where awesome and epic go to relax after a long day. Trentus Magnus punches reality. After all, a million monkeys at a million typewriters can't be wrong. Trentus Magnus punches reality. Because deep down inside, you know Magnus is right. Trentus Magnus punches reality. The People's Comic Book Podcast. Trentus Magnus punches reality. Because fuck you, that's why. Trentus Magnus punches reality every Tuesday at magnus.libson.com. Okay, great. Are we good? We good? We got everything? All right, great. Thanks a lot. Whatever your name is. Bye. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. All right, and we're back. And, uh... I guess since you did the synopsis, I'll do the. I'll go first this time. First off, I want to say I like the way it starts because you see both. Basically, they're both true, and you're supposed to figure out which one's more true. I kind of like it. Uh, but moving on into page two, I like how it says there is a rational explanation. <laughs> it just happens to be. Aliens, this cool gas, <laughs> and time travel, or... Uh, yeah, it's rational, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, page three, once again, uh, Superman's cape has the cool plastic ring in it. Page five, like Mike said, this is where we see other people of the supporting cast show up, including... Uh, what's his name? <laughs> Steve 
Lombard, who of course has a football because when you're going to be ushered out of the city by the word please, you have to have your football with you. Page six, I think it's interesting if you look at the first panel, it looks like Lombard, Perry White, and Superman are all looking at that thought bubble that's supposed to indicate of Starshine talking. Especially when Perry says, it's a voice out of thin air. Hmm. Uh, Why does Steve Lombard have a football? I mean, seriously. (laughs) Because he's a quarterback. Otherwise, he'd just be Morgan Edge with short hair. Or with longer hair. I don't know. But uh, moving on to page seven, like Mike said, this happened. This is from Superboy number five, which came out last month. Now, to kind of explain what happens, these guys are, I want to say they're like interplanetary farmers or agricultural guys. And they're traveling through the cosmos. And at some point, their ship springs a little bit of a leak. And it sends out these seeds, which end up on Earth. And these seeds just happen to land at 321 Maple Street in Smallville in the garden of Martha Kent and allows her to grow these beautiful red tomatoes. Now, Clark keeps, you know, she uses them, of course, for things like sandwiches, salads, and other things. And suddenly Clark starts having problems with his powers. And it turns out that the seeds actually, instead of these plants pulling in yellow sunlight to... Do the chlor- you you know do the chlorophyll thing all science biology stuff. Apparently, it pulls in red solar energy, and that red solar energy is causing havoc with Superboy's powers. Well, Superboy ends up helping them out with um, cleaning up their mess and getting them on their way. And to thank him, they were going to thank him by giving him his heart's desire, but he refused because he's Superboy and he doesn't do that kind of thing. So instead, they offered that same thing to Jonathan. We don't find out in that issue exactly what it is that his heart's desire is, but that's the whole point of this two-part story. This is his heart's desire. The cool part is that both Superboy and these two issues of action were, were written by Carrie Bates, so that helps them do the crossover. Uh, and that's what the scene is. It's a subconscious desire he's not even aware of. So to that see his son it. as an adult, which is yes. kind of cool. It is cool. It's something they, well, that obvious for obvious reasons, they wouldn't be able to do in the post-crisis. But it's really a cool story idea for pre-crisis Superman. Uh, page, <laughs> page eight. I love how the panhandler walks through the smoke, says it's orange smog, and calls it far out. And by Pantandler, I mean Starship. You know, every time I hear someone say far out, I, I think of John Denver. <laughs> far out! Yeah, and every time I think of John Denver, I think of the Muppets. Or Oh so. God, which is one of the greatest films ever made. Oh, there's that too, yes. Page 10. Okay, I know it's Superman kind of beat up, but I have to admit, for an inker that I'm not a huge fan of on Swan, that looks like a, a pretty inter- a pretty awesome image of Superman there. And the detail of Jonathan Kent's wrinkled eyes and the glasses. That first panel is beautiful. Yeah, Shiramonte, I'm I'm not saying that every time Shiramonte showed up in in, in the book, it was just like, oh, OMG, this is the worst thing ever. 
but to me, it's just I, I just don't think he was Swan's strongest inkers. Yeah, by far he's not. There's much better, but it. I mean, he's better than Vince Coletta. I'll give you that. Are you sure you want to say that, sir? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, another thing that always struck me too, uh, pay, on, on this page when we first see Lois, you'll notice her hairdo on this. It it. it it strikes me as kind of weird if you're reading any of the Superman issues from this era or from the same time. Lois's hair is slightly long. It's a little bit longer and a little, I don't know how to put it, a little slightly different in this story than it is. It's all, I don't know if maybe they drew it at a different time and they changed the hairstyle. But her hair is down to her shoulders here and it, over in Superman it was it's pretty short. Yeah. Yeah. Just something I picked up a few times. Uh, page. Page 12. Like you said, it's basically stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, and all he goes is off. Uh. Even I'm not invulnerable to the force of my own super punches. And, and, and we see. It, it's it's kind of funny. It's like they try really hard to match up with the art, but basically it just looks like random splotches of blue and red on his face to indicate the bruises and the bleeding. Yeah, it's not really subtle. Yeah. Uh, and then... Um, and, and this is the sad part when you think about it by the time you finish the story. On page 13, the last time Superman sees Jonathan... He kind of snubs him when he's leaving the apartment, when he leaves Lois's apartment, because he's given away the secret. And granted, by the end of the story, Superman's not going to remember any of this, but it just seems kind of not sad, but kind kind of sad, I guess that uh, that the last time he could say anything to Pa Kent, his last words to him are. Why, Pa, after all the times you pr- helped me protect my secret identity? Why? And that's it. So, other than getting mad at him, that was... Uh, it, it. You're not even my real father. Like, <laughs> oh. I'm dying in a tornado. Oh, oh, yeah, he went there. <laughs> Jeez. Um, let's see. And then, of course, the, the real quick pat ending is kind of interesting. Uh, Superman... Uh, muzzles him. This guy. Let's, spins, let's words here. <laughs> spins the guy in the air, lets him fall and break his tailbone, and then hypnotizes him. Which you can do even when you're uh, skydiving, right, Shag? <laughs> Ooh. You know, it, that insinuates that he actually listens to this show. <laughs> anyway. Oh, say his name three times, he listens to the episode. <laughs> Oh, okay, well, let's see. Shag, shag. Sh- oh, man, now it sounds like I'm shouting in a British porn film. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <if> oh, you, <laughs> So you got his name three times. Apparently, if you say Scott's name three times, he'll do it. He shows up. Uh, uh, but it's kind of cool. This is the part that gets me on page 16. It, it Clark is, once again, the last one to... F- fall uh, to fall for the not fall for the act uh, to be affected by the time thing that's being done here he was the last one to realize that John you know that to fall for the whole Jonathan is alive and now he's the last one to go back to normal is Lo- Lana just 
out of nowhere starts talking about it being the previous day and doing the news stories from the previous day. And then the note disappears and Clark goes back to normal. And for some reason, that last panel, Clark looks very Christopher Reevish to me. Yeah, I was actually, you know, a couple pages late earlier, Lois kind of has a Mario Kidder look about her. Yes, page 13. Yeah, so... Yes, yes. Just for that one panel, though. It makes sense, because this is, like, right hip deep in the in the Christopher Reeve era of the films. I mean... This would be what? They're just gearing up for the second one to come out, right? Yeah, technically it'll come out in a couple months in Europe and in other countries, and then it'll come out... Uh, Everyone's going to be like, wow, Mike's a real dork for remembering this date. Came out on June 19th, 1981 in the United States. And the only reason I remember that is that my wife came out on June 19th, 1981 Ah. uh, in the United States. I don't know if she had an earlier release in Europe. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, Three months premature and has been late for everything since. So I guess that's just... I was just I heard that. So. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I heard a hey in the background there. Yep. <laughs> so, but, oh, that's but yeah, awesome. that, that's why if you ever go to IMDb, it says it came out in 1980, and it was kind of, and it was, I was a little like, well, no, Empire came out in 1980, which is a weird way to mark time, but still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that, that actually makes it sound a little better with the release time. So it's like, Four years between one and two, and then oh, so two years between two and three. That's a little bit better. I I always thought it was eighty two, but of course not eighty two. Also in nineteen eighty, but then again, I was born in nineteen eighty, <laughs> so I have nothing to go on. Well, to be fair, even though they did a massive amount of reshoots, oh yeah, they had point. some of Superman two in the can already. Yeah, so. You know, really filming it, you know, refilming certain scenes, you know, they had to rebuild the fortress and all that. But basically, if you see Gene Hackman's face, uh, you're yeah, looking at a Donner scene, mm-hmm. at least in the Richard Lester cut, or as I like to call it, the one I prefer watching. Yeah. The... What? <laughs> that, opened, that, that could open up a whole can of words. We need to move yeah, on. We, yeah, we'll just kind of yeah, go on. Abort, abort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they both have their pluses and their minuses. Yes. We'll leave it at that. Uh but yeah, and then see yeah, seeing him float away and then Clark feeling closer to his parents especially Paul. That's a nice poignant ending. It seems a little rushed, but it's a nice poignant ending and you get to see that the please power is gone from Starshine. It's a it's a fun conclusion to the story. I really enjoyed it. Um, for me, page one, uh, I don't know who is dying, but that doesn't look like Jonathan Kent in that picture. No, he didn't look like Jonathan Kent last issue either. I forgot to mention that. I don't know what that is. But I do appreciate that Clark is so formal that he has a jacket, that he has a jacket on over his sweater, over his shirt. (laughs) Well, yeah. I do like, though, how... Given the nature of comic books at this time uh, and the distribution of comic books, and even though there were comic shops and such around this time period, there was no guarantee that you were going to get the first part of the story. Mm-hmm. So it's very possible that you just walked into your local 7-Eleven or, or candy store or 
or wherever and just saw this. So the fact that they kind of just drop you right into the story and, but, and have kind of the explanation be kind of quick and dirty. I like that because it got it right into where it needed to be. Page three, you know, we have more of the superpowers cape. Thank you. <laughs> um, hey, Kurt. Jonathan's kind of a little randy with these twins. Well, what you know, twins and a fetching pair of beauties at that. <laughs> yeah, man. Talk about your well. It's not cougar. I don't know what. It, uh, get well. If you go the other way, usually I think they, they call, call that pervert. dirty old man. Yes, <laughs> yes. I think that's yes. the clinical term for it. So <laughs> uh, we got a nice shirt rip on page four. Page five, I like the fact that Perry White is uh, wearing a vest in one thing. and looks like he's wearing a jacket in the other. That that could just be a vest. But he never takes a cigar out of his mouth. So <laughs> It's Perry. That's a, that's a dedicated human being right there. And I do like the fact that, you know, we've seen Perry all throughout this decade in various things. This looks like the Kurt Swan Perry from, like, the 60s. Yes. So... He... It's like they couldn't figure out how they wanted Perry to look. Early in the Bronze Age, he's got more hair. Later, or earlier or later on, he's got less. Hair. I don't know. But yes, this is uh, this is my this is Perry to me. <laughs> so, uh, on page seven, Superman's looking and going, "God, he's got dirty feet. Dirty <laughs> feet must burn the dirt off his feet." Page eight. I'm glad that uh, I, I just assume that these aliens are an offshoot of the Corgarians, you know, the race of people that Sinestro is. Ah, uh, yeah. They kind of got a bit of a Sinestro <laughs> thing. Uh, page eight, oh, or at the bottom of page eight. Um. The, uh, oh God, the dirty hippie. Um, <laughs> Uh, walks into a cloud of orange gas and really doesn't, you know, think much of it. It's probably because he's high. So, <laughs> you know, you mentioned that alien. That one has a hell of a widow's peak. Yes, he does. From about the bridge of the nose all the way. Dang. Anyway, I'm sorry. So that'll teach you to beg for hands out, you no good hippie. Oof. How was I supposed to know that dude was a mugger? <laughs> I guess you're, I guess it's a good thing you're not dead. Page nine, I like the fact that the orange smoke has got him into full supervillain mode at last. The world will be mine. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so the, I have to say that you're right. The, 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 um, the bruises and such in the later part of the issue really don't work. On page 10, they actually do. And I think that's an interesting visual of, of, of Jonathan seeing it in his head, and we're actually seeing it on his head. Uh, Lois is actually really hot in this issue, like through the whole thing. Yes. For, you know, for, for a drawing. Oh, thank you, Jeffrey. Um, (laughs) you're welcome. But, uh, yeah, page 12, all I can think of is stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. (laughs) Clap like a monkey. Like he was making his hands go back together, back and forth. (laughs) Something my wife uh, apparently was traumatized with as a child. Oh, uh, the, the, the scene on page 13 with Jonathan and Lois is beautiful within the context of this story and to me is just so utterly familiar growing up in the post-crisis era where she and Jonathan got along and knew each other. It was very, after of course, Jonathan, you know, like made her hate Clark for a couple months. It really took her thinking Clark was dead for her to forgive him for that. 
That's a good point. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, page 15, Superman tortures this poor guy, but he kind of deserves it, and then he hypnotizes him. I like that Jonathan didn't give up his being there to save the day. Superman figured it out. And I, and I really like that as the ending. And uh, the, the ending is, you're right, it's very poignant. Uh, Clark looks a little stiff in that second-to-last panel. But yeah, it's just very sad, and I, and 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 yeah, you know, it's a little it's a little cute that he's like, and I feel especially close to Pa. But you know what? Who cares? You know, in all honesty, it's it was a great story. It was a great two issue story that did what the Bronze Age I think did best for the pre crisis Superman, and that is explore areas of his life that really didn't come up all that much during the Silver Age. You know, we, 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 you and I have talked about the Bronze Age before, uh, I think over on Views, as a matter of fact, and it seemed like in that era they really wanted to explore Clark and Superman as, as a person and not just, you know, choke, I, I, I'm seeing my father choke, uh, which, you know, seems like I'm making fun of the Silver Age, but I'm not. But no, this is the best of it. And it's a great way to kind of kick off, you know, the era of Superman after the movies. Now, to be fair, right around 1984, 1985, the books, not completely, but for the most part, kind of take a downturn in quality. It seems like Julia Schwartz starts burning through inventory stories like There's No Tomorrow. I mean, you would have some really great stories, like the three-part Lex Luthor story that ran through, like, 410, 412, and 413. Uh, yes. It's just a fantastic storyline. And, and, and Lex, you know, you know, Luther Unleashed, Brainiac Breaks Loose, you know, all that stuff is just amazing. But, it, it, you know, it just seemed like right before the revamp, you know, the stories just weren't as good as this. They were more plot-driven, where this is a completely character-driven story, which is odd for a Julia Schwartz book. Yeah, because usually, like you were saying, Schwartz usually did the plot-driven kind. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I want to say that some of what you just were talking about was... I've read in a couple different places that basically, I think I want to say it was 84 is when they started doing it, was when basically Schwartz and everyone currently working on the Super Books was basically brought in a room and told, uh, this version of Superman's going to go away. We're going to be rebooting him. And so basically, at that point, I want to say the heart was kind of out of it, and they were just kind of yeah. doing a holding pattern to keep Superman books going until they could get the reboot going, unfortunately. So that's... But I have noticed that for a long time. You get to it's like basically around the point where Marv Wolfman leaves. Uh, action takes a nosedive after that, and then somewhat soon after that is when uh, the Superman book follows. So it's kind of sad when you know that stuff. But yeah, I'm sorry I interrupted your notes. No, uh, I was done. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, then we'll, what we'll do is we'll do a couple of promos, and we'll come back and we'll look at the ads real quick. Woohoo! Yay! Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we 
read comics and then talk about comics because as we've established talking about comics you've not read is just dumb yeah and you're making me do it every Thursday well we've moved have we? yes we have outgrown our old location I don't feel like I've moved and we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com what was that again? twotruefreaks.com A Kids Comics still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com hey guys Charlie here Hope you all are enjoying the show. I just wanted to break in real quick to remind everyone to go check out In Stock Trades. In Stock Trades provides you with the opportunity to purchase lots and lots of comic book trade paperbacks at deeply discounted prices, which is perfect for right around the holidays. So make sure you go out to InStockTrades.com or maybe also check out their sister site at DCBServices.com. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of steel and more supermanhomepage.com we now return to superman and the bronze age and we're back we're going to take a quick look at the ads in this issue uh, we start off with the inside front cover from acme boots with a nice comic strip of the saga of johnny west oh god <laughs> we won't need to act this one out but basically Cowboy boots are really cool. And and, 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 and apparently strange, men will come into town and give boots to strange children. Which, if you ever watched the 10th anniversary disc of Clerks, there's a story that Kevin Smith tells that, that makes this story very this comic strip very salacious. So I, I will leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. It's a family-friendly uh, show. I'm just... I'm just yes, to, yes. Uh, Thank you. Uh, moving right along, uh, the next ad we have is once again from same as last month is the Wild Cherry Bubble Yum Bubblegum ad because it's new and longer lasting flavor. And then the next page is that lovely Sea Monkeys ad. Still $1.25. I think the ads are probably going to be very similar except for some of the uh, advertisements. Ah! Next up is Hostess Twinkies. Mm. Now, do you want to be? I'm going to be the flash. I'll be the bad guy because I sweet. Okay, yeah, the the bad guy is more fun, (laughs) I guess. All right, so we have the Flash in a Flash in the Dam. Start off with the Destroyer. Oh, is it the Destroyer that speaks first? I don't know. Sorry, (laughs) that's how I looked at it. I, I can't. I can't follow this riveting tale. I want everybody to be miserable and happy like me. They will be when I destroy the Duver Dam. The Destroyer will blast the dam to pieces unless I get there first. Whoops. The Destroyer started without me, but I'm here now. And then we have Flash at super speed, picking up rocks and shoving them in the hole, which sounds... Anyway, you forgot to include me in your plans, Destroyer. And then apparently at some point he knocks the Destroyer out and runs off with them and says... The trouble with you, Destroyer, is you never learned to... 
The trouble with you, Destroyer, is you've never learned to enjoy the little things in life. Why, these are Hostess Twinkies cakes! Mmm, this light golden sponge cake and cream filling! You win, Flash. I'll give myself up. There is a lot of happiness in Hostess Twinkie cakes. And you get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkie cakes. Yay. Yeah, because you're not going to get a lot of <laughs> Twinkies in jail. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. They sh I should call this the Hostess Registered Trademark Twinkies Registered Trademark Cakes. <laughs> uh, it's nice that the Twinkies are coming back. They are back. Yeah, it was, it was a good launch. And it, they're a little smaller, but they taste just as good. There you go. Well, you know, it's, that's just the way things are these days. They make them smaller to keep the price somewhat down, and then they charge you much anyway. I have to say, though, this is... Well, it's Kurt Swan art. That middle panel of the Flash putting the rocks in there looks pretty cool. I don't know if... Kurt Swan may not be the best Flash artist in the world, but the having six different Flash images, scooping up rocks and shove, uh, closing up the hole in the dam is really darn cool. My question is, how did the Destroyer's... Oh, break the hole. Oh. I just think that he just randomly came by <laughs> and that he really didn't have anything to do with it. He just <laughs> takes credit showed for up and all and he's just ranting because he's old, his wife's dead, he's run out of money, so he wants to go to jail because at least there he'll get like food and all that. <laughs> I like that this is a an actual dam, but there's like no one around to see this. And also, and I know you don't watch it much, but he looks like he's wearing the clothes from, uh, like, the third Doctor. The Destroyer is, not Flash. Mm -hmm. With the shorter coat and then the longer coat that looks like a cape and the old-fashioned clothing. It's just... This is not one of the Flash's uh, arch-enemies. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've never really watched Doctor Who. So. Yeah, I know, but but, but, but I'm, just I'm, trust me. I, I took a test recently. Apparently, I'm the second doctor. I really don't know what that says, but apparently, <laughs> I'm the second doctor. So Hey, congratulations. I don't know what that means because I haven't watched much of the second doctor. Yeah. I'm more of a – I've only more recently gotten to Who, so I'm more of a what they call a new Who fan. The <laughs> new Who. Stuff since – yeah. <laughs> so Since Christopher Eccleston came on and all that? Yeah, yeah, since then. I haven't seen much of the old stuff. Uh, but next up is something really cool. Oh, this is gorgeous. Full-page ad for the Untold Legend of the Batman. It begins with the shreds of a torn costume, and it ends with a single teardrop. This is your invitation to discover the collector's item of 1980. Three thrilling issues that will reveal the secrets of Batman, his family, his friends, his enemies, and his incredible arsenal. The Untold Legend of the Batman by Len Wein, John Byrne, and Jim Aparo. Collect the series beginning with issue number one on sale April 24th, issue number two on sale May 22nd, and the concluding issue number three on sale June 26th. And let me tell you, you cannot f find a much better creative team in the early 80s than Len Wein, John Byrne, and Jim Aparo all together. Yeah, I, I didn't say that. I, I forgot to mention this last time. The first time I read this was actually uh, summer of 89. They had this really atrocious breakfast cereal. 
but it had Batman on it, so I bought it. Uh, or had my the father Batman buy it. cereal. Yeah, the Batman cereal was awful. Uh-huh. Uh, just like yes. King Vitamin, just with a little more flavor, and that's. <laughs> and that's, I could make a lot of metaphors about that. I'm just not going to, anyways. But one of the things that you could send off for is, you could send off for like the three issues of the Untold Legend of the Batman, and they were they were not full size comics. They were a little smaller, but they were printed on really slick paper, and I devoured that thing when it came in. Because even though I, I, you know, I had the basic understanding, okay, this is the pre-crisis DC universe, it doesn't all really count anymore, I still think it's the best distillation of the origin of Batman ever. Oh, yeah. I would have to agree. And, and considering that by this point, they're, having, they're literally going back and looking at every Batman origin story... Batman, Robin, you know, everyone's origin stories going all the way back to 39. So you're looking yeah. at 40 plus years of Batman comics and they're distilling it down to three issues. And it works. Apparently Byrne was a little disappointed that this was the Batman story they asked him to do because according to him he was able to do this because he had a hole in his contract with Marvel. Like there was like a couple months where he could work for DC and there was just some some behind-the-scenes stuff that he went into that I won't go into here. But basically, that's why he only did one issue. But even uh, though he only did one issue, Jim Aparo came in after him. And I, I, I can't think of a, you know, it's like if I can't have John Byrne on Batman, Jim Aparo's pretty good second. But he was a little disappointed that this was basically a greatest hits album. But to me, you know, especially in 1980 when a new generation of fans are really starting to hit DC hard and heavy, uh, especially with the, you know, the, the new Teen Titans are coming up around this time period. Legion is really starting to take off in popularity. You know, it's a good time to have this sort of, to take advantage of this miniseries concept, which was still rather new at the time. DC didn't do their first miniseries until 1979 with The World of Krypton, uh, which is an awesome miniseries, as a matter of fact. I love that. And, you know, just to have it be with Batman, just just taking all these little elements that have crept up over, like, you know, 40 years of the character's existence and just putting it all together in a coherent package that's still very entertaining, you can't get much better than it. No. And and it, this ad actually pulls out a few images from the comic itself. There's the... Shreds of the torn costume they mention. Uh, and this is basically the image of Batman holding up the costume. And then you, he kind of is remembering back to the masquerade party where his father was in that costume. When Bruce was a child and his mom dressed up as what I can only consider to be a psychedelic fairy. Um, and then you have the young Bruce Wayne the scene where he's making the vow at their gravesite. And then the same image from last uh, from last time of him standing on the roof with the cape billowing around him. And something they don't even mention is the cover. All three covers were drawn and inked, apparently, by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his Praise name. Praise be his name. So, I mean, you just couldn't do much better than this. Now, I had thought that I had, I had heard that, that, of course... I don't remember where I read that. 
Now, what I had heard was uh, it was there was a hole in Burns' schedule, and then the book was getting delayed. And by the time, and he it, only had time to draw one before he had to go back. Yeah, but it was basically it was basically they dragged their feet, and there was problems behind the scenes, and they never got it. They never got him the okay. plot to draw the you know the uh, to draw the other issues. So he blames DC. Oh, but DC apparently threw him under the bus in the fan press. So that seems to happen a lot with Burn. Well, yeah. At least, see, it's kind of hard to tell when it's basically he said he said, but uh, that kind of happened to him with Superman too. Also, Superman also. Anyway, this isn't a John Byrne podcast though. Uh, moving right along to a not quite as cool ad. It's the. Super Gifts and Gimmicks ad. Mm. We don't need to go into that because we've seen that a gajillion times. The next one is actually a pretty cool looking ad. Uh, basically, it asks the question, how can magazines this small uh, be so big in reading pleasure? Now, this, uh, the, the way these kids are, uh, there are many innuendos that could come out from this. I was about but, to say. <laughs> <laughs> but check out the answer in DC's exciting 100-page Blue Ribbon Digests. And on sale, both of these are on sale September 10th. One of them is uh, the 10 front page stories starring Superman in the Daily Planet featuring Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Perry White, and Clark Kent. And this looks like a really cool cover. It looks like it's an Andrew and Giordano cover. Superman's flying in through the window. Clark is working at his desk, which is going to be weird. Lois is, well, she's putting on some makeup while sitting on perry white's desk perry is kind of shocked to see superman flying in it looks like he's starting to stand up and jimmy's checking out some papers behind perry it's actually a really cool looking scene and this book contains clark kent's masquerade as superman how lois got her job jimmy olsen's thousandth scoop the super cigars of perry white clark kent gentleman journalist dear dr cupid the last headline the superman speculators jimmy olsen editor-in-chief the End of the Planet, and the Daily Planet story. Wow, there's some Bronze Age in there, too. I have this Sweet. in my hands right now. Of course you do. <sighs> so basically, folks, if I mention anything with Superman in the title or in there... <laughs> That's not true. Do not do not paint it. I just happened to... You know, a couple years ago, I found a nice eBay lot of a bunch of these. Oh, okay. Actually, from Jane Silent Bob's Secret Stash, of all places, on eBay. Ooh. Uh, and I, I, oh, just, cool. I just happened to win it. And I basically get these not so much to read the stories, though that is what I do, because it's what you should do. But because, uh, like you were talking about, the covers on these things are gorgeous. Just absolutely beautiful. And sometimes they painted them. Yes, the very first one was a Superman one that was painted. I would love to check out some of these digests, but I just, I've never found them. At a very good price. They're expensive. And, they, they, yeah. they are. You can find them on eBay rather cheap because sometimes people will just throw lots up there because they don't think they're worth all that much. But I, but at the comic shows that I go to, in fact, I'll be going to one in a couple of weeks, uh, uh, while there are so many like cheap $2 and $5 bins, the one dude was selling digests at 10 bucks a piece. Just wow. flat out. And he was selling them. So people are buying them, but these things are getting harder and harder to find, so that actually kind yeah. of makes sense. Well, see, that might be a little more justifiable if it wasn't for the fact that they're just reprints. And 
most of those stories you mentioned I have already in one form or another. So it's just like, eh. It's a collectible, to be sure. It's why yeah. I have. It's why I buy Superman variant covers. It's not because, you know, I want this to go up in value so I can sell it later on. It's it's more of, hey, wow, Superman Unchained is doing uh, like post crisis era variant covers. I need to get me some of those. Yeah. Now, see, I, yeah, I just can't afford that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I tr- I, I I don't know. I I cannot. And, and this is usually me. I, nothing against it. I just I have never been able to even justify it to myself. <laughs> getting more than one copy of something, except when it's one of those really rare—not really rare, but one of those things that's like super hyped, and a lot of people are trying to get them and you know that it's going to be one of those things where if you can get your hand on a copy the day it comes out, you're going to be lucky. So I'll grab two, one to hang on to and one to read, you know? Um, like, I probably would have done that with the Superman 75 had I been collecting comics at that point. Um, but I... And those... The Unchained ones, I probably would just try to pick one, which would be hard. And just kind of stick with that. But, yeah. I, I'm not as much of a collector as you are. I just read. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah. ouch, Charlie. <laughs> anyway, the other digest is a Justice Society digest. Which looks pretty and, awesome. Which has an interesting background-free cover, which appears to also be by Andrew and Giordano. Superman's holding up a copy of, a ginormous copy to him anyway, of All-Star Comics number something? 58. 58. Wait, is that the one Superman's holding or Batman? Batman's holding 58. Uh, I believe Superman is holding All-Star Comics number 36. Okay, 36. That actually shows a Golden Age story, a full, complete, I guess, Justice Justice Society story from the Golden Age. That cover actually includes Superman and Batman on the cover with the Justice Society, which was not something that happened very often. No, they were honorary members, basically, because they had their own titles. Right. Justice Society was meant to kind of showcase people that didn't have their own books or their own features. Which is why they kept switching him out, because then some of them would get their own titles and features. And if you want to get really complicated, you can start talking about how, at one point, All-American and DC were two separate companies. So they had to go back and redraw stuff, sometimes very badly, to get certain characters out of the book. There's a whole time Jeez. period where this happens. It's, 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 uh, I, I learned about it in the, All-Star, the first volume of the All-Star Companion by Roy Thomas. It's this fascinating bit of history where for a while, because all American and DC were technically two different companies. Uh, yeah, but they were sister companies, right? Yes. Uh, and there's a whole lot of shenanigans involved in that, that I really don't want to get into right now because I don't have all the facts in front of me, but yeah, it's, it's kind of strange, but yeah, that, that's one of the stories where Superman and Batman show up and are really condescending. (laughs) Yay! And then Bat, uh, Batman's holding up an equally large copy of All-Star Comics 58, which would have been the their Bronze Age return, yes. which apparently involves how Power Girl joined the team. That would be the first one 
their first issue back, right? Their first issue back. It's the first appearance of Power Girl. It's the first appearance of the Super Squad, which is what they called Power Girl. uh, Looks like Star Spangled uh, Kid. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. And the other one. Yes, which I can't (laughs) see. And I should know this, but I can't think right now because it's late. Uh, Well, I'm sure it's in the... uh, it's, I'm sure this is in the elsewhere. We can probably see it a little closer than maybe... No, not. it's not. Oh, snap. On a stick. What about the next month? Yes. Okay. Robin. Oh, of course. <laughs> Who would have thought? The Robin. Robin in his very awesome yellow outfit. The man wonder. And then... Not only that, but this also features Dr. Fate's only full-length adventure as an extra bonus. That's right. And then the next page is another full-page house ad for the great westerns as only DC can do them. Once Jonah again, Hex we have... Scalp Hunter! Yay! Yes, same two as last time, but just different, newer issues. Looks like Scalp Hunter's going to get some guys with some nice hot coal. Scalp Hunter is an interesting character, too, because he was a white man raised by Indians and not accepted by either. Ugh. That just seems kind of, kind of mean. Well, I don't think it was very good for Scalp Hunter. No. So the next page is another subscription ad. Woohoo! This has some terrible art of Batman and Robin. And, wow, this is just... Anyway, uh, now, remember last time we had Superman looking like Superboy and holding up Superman books. This, of course, is the Batman books. We have, A, you can get 12 issues, I'm sorry, 12 40-cent issues of Batman for the price of 10, featuring the Commissioner Gordon murder case, the secret master of the asylum, and the deadly new villain known as the Electrocutioner. B, you can get 12 $1 issues of Detective Comics for the price of 10, featuring the assassination of Batgirl. The Man Who Knew Batman's Secret, The Riddler's Return, plus The Human Target, Red Tornado, Black Lightning, and more. Or C, 12 40-cent issues of Brave and the Bold for the price of 10, featuring Batman teamed with superstars such as Hawkman, Zatanna, Man-Bat, Scalp Hunter, and more. And every issue comes to your door in a protective wrapper, your best chance to have a complete collection of our epic adventures. Guaranteed to be folded in half and stuffed into your mailbox. I was going to say, I've heard that that sucked. (laughs) Uh, But the lettering on that's kind of weird, too. I don't know who did this, but this is... Anyway. So, yes, you could get... uh, Let's see. 12 issues of Batman for $4. 12 issues of Brave and the Bull for $4. Or 12 issues of Detective Comics for $10, because remember, they're dollar issues. So basically, you could get a year's worth of Batman for or Brave and the Bold for the price of one comic today. Pretty much. <sighs> anyway, did you ever do a comic subscription through DC, or did you always use the comic sh- shops? I never had one through DC. I did have a four-issue subscription to the real Ghostbusters comic from now because they had serial too, and that was a <laughs> that was a little giveaway on that. Awesome. So that it was the summer of nineteen eighty-nine as well. Uh, so that's the only comic subscription I ever had. I have heard like I have a bunch of issues of Justice League from the late seventies and early eighties that uh-huh. if you look at it just right, you can see it's been bent in half. 
Uh, and that's why I got uh, them so cheap. And that is that is what is known is uh, it was called by all of the dealers in, in the shop. The the yeah, I can't speak all of a sudden. The show that I went to as the subscription crease. <laughs> I don't know if that's a technical term, but that's what they call. Awesome, it. awesome. Yeah, I they got better later on. I uh, uh, all of Nightfall came. Well, not all of it. The Batman half of Nightfall came to me through subscription. And um, that year of Superboy where they had that hypertension storyline, the where he goes through hypertime. Yeah. That was all through subscription also. Still have those issues? And, uh, yeah. Check out part two in the letters column. That's right. That's where you are, isn't it? My very first letter ever printed in a comic. That's right. Running around like John Candy and Splash. (laughs) He printed my letter. (laughs) And 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 those actually came pretty well. They it wasn't even card. I mean, some of them were kind of rolled, but unfortunately, but by that point they were uh, putting them in like bags and boards. They weren't like good boards, but they were at least no something. Yeah, it was it was a little bit better than paper, but not quite. Boards like actual boards. Anyway, uh, where were we? Next ad page. Top half is for grit. Who cares? Because yeah, the cares? bottom, bottom half. half kicks buttocks. Tops and team up thrills. Plus a galaxy of co-stars in every issue. We have DC Comics Presents number 23, Superman and Captain Comet. The very first issue of DC Comics Presents I ever owned. Not when it came out, though. The story is interesting. The art is atrocious. Unfo- da, 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 da. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, it's Dick. Uh, he's a great guy. I appreciate all the art he did, but it's Dick Dillon. And I'm just not a Dick Dillon fan. Especially late 70s, early 80s, up until he left the book for obvious reasons and then of course brave and the bold number 163 it looks like batman teams up with black lightning now you complained about the artwork in the batman subscription ad we have the polar opposite in the next ad oh yes this is superman's bargain counter where superman is apparently at a comic shop Offering you subscriptions to the Superman comics. This again, Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano. And it's awesome. Beautiful. And he basically is just standing there, cape flowing behind him. And on the right are 12 consecutive monthly issues, which will cost you $4 when bought by subscription. On the left, the same 12 issues will cost you $4.80 when purchased separately. Which offer will you choose? The right one, of course. Ba-da, ba-da. It's obviously a... That's actually a smart-ass joke I would make. Anyway, this subscription offer applies to the following magazines. Action, Comics, Superman, and DC Comics Presents. And there's a special subscription offer for the Dollar Comics, Superman's family, Superman Family, and World's Finest. You can get six of those Best. dollar issues for $5. What was that? And, and, yeah, just World's Finest around this time period was awesome. Mm. They even had uh, 
one or two that they actually were able to get Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, uh, in for to do some of the interior art. So that was cool. But yes, this this is an awesome looking ad to be to be fair. And it definitely looks like a comic shop. I mean that counter that's a counter glass ish looking counter with comics in there. Uh, at least one of which looks like a crude looking Superman comic by the word balloons. And then moving right along, we have three quarters of a hodgepodge ad. The same one as last time, including that exhaustive index of Superman Adventures from the 70s book that Mike apparently has. And the bottom hat, the third of it, or quarter, however you want to look at it, uh, tells you about the fact that Super Friends, Batman, and Plastic Man are on TV. The next page is a full page ad. The wait is over. The results are in. Here are the winners of the Great Wonder Woman contest. Awesome. Uh, and apparently, what did you win? Grand prize winner of an all-expenses-paid Wonder Woman weekend in New York for two, including an afternoon at D.C., which you can no longer do because they're moving to L.A., was Orlando Watkins of Detroit, Michigan. And then, if you didn't get that, you got... Second prize was wristwatches. Uh, or third prize was sleeping bags and... La- Fourth prize was Wonder Woman lunchboxes. Now that is a very big change of. <laughs> that's a, that's a big. It's like all expenses paid trip to New York and a tour of DC Comics. Watch. I got a rock. <laughs> what? The old Charlie Brown thing, you know? I got candy. Oh, I got yeah, apple. I'm sorry. I got a rock. <laughs> Yay! But it is a uh, looks like an Andrew Giordano Wonder Woman, so that's kind of cool. The Wonder Woman watches were courtesy of Super Time Inc. in Northfield, Illinois. Somehow, I want to say I want to think that those watches probably didn't keep time very well. Probably not. Uh, the lunch boxes were done were courtesy of Aladdin, so those were probably still in pretty good shape. And the sleeping bags are courtesy of the Henderson Sleeping Bag Company of Henderson, North Carolina. Yay. Uh, let's see. That letters page again had Tam Sinoflin. Mm-hmm. She's just cr- lot busy, busy, busy. Uh, also a little blurb that Starman and Plastic Man are every month in Adventure Comics. By the way, I forgot to mention that the Superman in action artwork at the top is kind of cool. Yes. It's You've got Clark Kent running with motion lines into a phone booth quickly changing, and then you have Superman with motion lines flying out. That's nice. Anyway, uh, the next pa- uh, the next ad page, I guess we can call it an ad page, is the Daily Planet Extra for the week of March 24th, 1980. Uh, there's an article about uh, Superman number 349, which comes out on April 7th, featuring the Turnabout Trap by Martin Pascoe, Kurt Swan, and Frank Sharamonte, which I will be covering next year, which I will get to later. And, this, uh, uh, by the way, was the last Bronze Age issue I needed. Seriously? Yeah. I, this I was one of the it. first ones I got. Yeah, I had found <laughs> it, and it was, it was pretty awesome. Even though the cover is, is a, goofy as hell. The cover's goofy... The, but the story is actually really cool. Basically, Superman finds himself in a world where all the men are women, and all or everyone he knows as men are women, and everyone he knows as women are men. 
Uh, so there's like a Lewis Lane and a was it Jenna Olson? No, Jamie Olson. Jenny Olson. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. No. I was making a joke. A man of steel. Yeah, good point. I can't think of all the name of the of uh, the female Jenny, but there's a super boy that wears hot pants, which is wrong. There's a superwoman instead of a Superman. Wonder Man that actually doesn't look right. Uh, and then you know, there's like a Batwoman. It's 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 actually really cool. I, I it's a fun little it's a fun little book. There's the Direct Currents, which tells you about some of the other books coming out this this same time. Several questions for the Answer Man. Apparently, the Viking Commando blasted into a future war in All Out War number six. So we won't be covering that. And then there's a Hinbeck strip featuring. Um, uh, Swamp Thing. You are amazing. I might, not, I might not be able to fly like Superman or run real flat, yeah, or run real fast like the Flash, but being Swamp Thing does give me one advantage over all those other guys. I get to speak in crusty yellow balloons. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and of course, the whole time it's a crusty-looking yellow balloon. Uh, the next page is. Remember how last time you could get, um, was it Civil War? Or Revolutionary, uh, Revolutionary War, War figures? Yes. This time you get 132 Roman soldiers for $2.98. Yep. Uh, inside back cover is the Bat Rack, which is basically, uh, it's, a, it's a rack that is shaped like a bat with three screws on it. Well, I'm sorry, two screws and a spot to put your ball. And a nice little dingamahoochie on the bottom to hold your baseball bat. So you can hang your hat, your glove, one ball, and the bat all on this one thing. And it only costs you six ninety-five. And the back cover. Spaldings presents Street Ball with Rick Barry and Dr. J. Dr. Julius Irving. That's right. And you get to see, and this is drawn by Jack Davis, who I believe was Mad Magazine, maybe? Yes. Yes. And basically, it's uh, Rick Barry and Dr. J uh, hanging out with a bunch of kids on the basketball court, telling them how awesome Spalding basketballs are. And of course, Dr. J is doing a slam dunk, because that was his uh, signature. Of course. And with, of course, the sound effect of slam dunk. Because they all, that's that's the sound effect, if you do that. And then uh, John Barry does his signature swish from 30 feet. Now, the cool thing is that I really like the art on this. It's it's yes. a, very cartoony, but it's also really cool. Absolutely. You know, I found out that there used to be a comic book featuring the monkeys that was done in this very style, and several of the issues were drawn by Jim Aparo in this style before he became a superhero artist. That's... I was that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, <clears throat> I think it's the it's the same Jim Aparo apparently too. So, yeah, but before he became he went over and started on Aquaman and Brave and the Bold, he was doing this kind of art. So it's kind of cool. Anyway, that's it for the comic books. Let's look real quick at some of the elsewheres. Starting off with Batman number three twenty four. Batman is trying to save Catwoman. She's slung her- over him. This does not look good for Batman. Actually, this <laughs> this looks like a kind of dirty image. <laughs> so we're just going to move on. 
Uh, but there's a, especially with all the smoke. It looks like Batman farted. Flash it's pink, but it's fart. Flash number 286, the first appearance of the greatest rogue ever. I will hear no argument on this. The Rainbow Raider. This is his first appearance? That is his first appearance. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Can the Crimson Comet discover this his grim secret before he becomes his next victim? Still, still not a good concept. No, no. Justice League number 179, Superman is basically like, yo, Firestorm's in this team. You got a problem with that? <laughs> he basically, that's basically what he says. <laughs> Any objections, he's like a, this, this would have to be like, was it Super Dickery? Or Super yeah, Dickery or something, yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, it's the siren song of the Satin Satan. I can't believe I said that correctly on the first try. Uh, I'm rather impressed. We should move on. <laughs> uh, it's yes, not going to get better than that. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Superman number 348, the master of wind and storm, uh, which is, uh, yeah, Superman and a Native American weather guy and some kind of alien doodad, as I recall. Uh, but keep going. Uh, Wonder Woman number 268, Battleground, France where she takes on a bunch of different guys, wonder, uh, but teams up with Animal Man again. Yay! So yay for that. Uh, World's Finest Comics had five stories in it, because that's what they do. I believe this is the final edition of the Super Sun Saga. Aww. Where we learned that they're basically computer programs or something like that, I think. Denny O'Neill killed it, basically, is what happened. He uh, decided that was stupid. Uh, but Adam Strange gets a story, Green Arrow, Aquaman, and Captain Marvel Shazam! Get stories in this issue. All new, by the way. Um, Adventure Comics. Now, instead of, this time, instead of splitting the cover up in half, we have about two-thirds of the cover is for Starman. Mm-hmm. And then one-third is for Plastic Man in the shape of a piano. Still looks cool, though. Uh, let's see. Batman and Black Lightning. We already talked about that one. And Brave and the Bold number whatever that was. Because I've already closed it. Detective Comics number 491. Batman must solve the riddle of the Golden Fleece. Batgirl gets assassinated. And that image... I'm guessing that's not supposed to be really Becker because she shatters. She loses her hand, her leg gets cut off at the knee, and her she gets cut through the stomach. Now, that would have paralyzed her long before the Joker shot her. And then Robin has to deal with a murder on campus. Plus, there's Black Lightning and Tales of Gotham City. Yay. Yay! Yeah, it's actually a... You know, it's an Andrew and Giordano cover. Batman looks really freaky on that cover. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, how Jordan has to deal with the attack of the star Sapphire. I have this issue. Ooh. It's interesting, too, because it looks like it's uh, both Hal Jordan and Green Lantern having to deal with it. Mm-hmm. That looks pretty cool. The thrilling exploits of the Green Gladiator. 
Legion of Superheroes number 264 has Tyrock on the cover. Again, I will not tell you Tyrock's origin because it's the most racist form of Brigadoon ever. <laughs> wow. Uh, but they're still going up against uh, Dagon. Dagon, the adventurer. Dagon! <laughs> Uh, super, new Adventures of Superboy number six, too big for Smallville. This is what happens when uh, Bill, uh, it's, I'm sorry, Detective. I think he was in this. Henderson comes to Smallville to try to persuade Superboy to move his operation to Metropolis. That's a good issue. It is. It's actually really good. Actually, I like it. And our final uh, cover uh, issue for this month: the Menagerie Men. No, the Menagerie Man is back with an army of wild creatures trained to destroy Hawkman and the Super Friends. It's a Ramona and Freyden cover. That looks really cool. Ramona Freyden was very popular for being the early artist of Aquaman. Mm-hmm. And now she was, co- she was drawing occasional issues of Super Friends. And this actually looks really cool. These, of course, it's it's Super Friends type book, so these hawks, of course, have to have kryptonite in their claws somehow. Uh, but yeah, she drew a better Batman and Robin than uh, Schaffenberger. And yes. the Superman was still pretty good. So yeah, I'm pretty. I, I like Ramona Freyden's artwork too. It's really cool. But that's it for the books this month. So real quick. Let's send it over to Mr. J. David Weeder, who concludes his look at Superman, The Secret Years. The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who, even as an infant, demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who, as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Welcome to the final installment of Superboy in the Bronze Age and the fourth and final issue of Superman The Secret Years. I am J. David Weeder, bringing you the final tale of Superboy's metamorphosis into Superman. When we last left off, Superboy was reeling from the death of Billy Kramer, a Smallville chum he was not able to save since Superboy was, you know, saving an entire island full of people. The same creative team of Bob Rosakis and the Kurtz bring us a story entitled Beyond Terminus in the May 1985 comic, which means this was coming out as Crisis Number 2 was hitting stands. As the story opens, Superboy is still missing after quitting last issue, and reporter Perry White is assigned to track him down with the promise of taking over George Taylor's editor-in-chief position if Perry is successful. While Superboy mopes in the secret dimension within the Bermuda Triangle and berates a Clark Kent statue for his failures, Perry follows the trail, which includes finding Billy's signal whistle. Elsewhere, Luthor is launching satellites into space and makes a TV announcement, challenging Superboy to a one-on-one fight with the whole world watching. Superboy continues to have strange dreams, including the arrival of Jor-El and Lara in a dream to battle Jonathan and Martha Kent, with Billy arriving to help and forgive him. Hearing the call of Billy's whistle, even in his dream, Superboy returns to the real world where Perry briefs him on Luthor's scheme. Superboy decides he's going to take care of it and arrives to face Luthor, who is granted superpowers by the satellites he launched, and an epic battle ensues. Superboy fakes being beaten by Luthor to slip away and destroy Luthor's satellites. He then captures the powerless villain, demanding to be called Superman now. Clark finds that a wheelchair-bound ducky has returned to campus and has quit drinking and focusing only on his studies, and college graduation comes, 
Clark takes one final trip back in time to observe Jonathan on his high school graduation day, giving advice about looking to the future and not the past. And Clark bravely faces the future, graduates, and the final scene shows Clark getting a job at the Daily Planet from Editor-in-Chief Perry White, who adds that Superboy made him who he is today. And so with that ending, we enter the familiar trappings of Superman's day-to-day world, and we never see Ducky or Billy again. So, that happened. I'm not going to exalt this miniseries, nor am I going to shred it to pieces. It kind of went by the numbers in some places, and when the numbers added up, they were a great equation. But it still has some problems. However, with the usage of the Bermuda Triangle, Luthor, the dream sequences, Perry White, and Billy Kramer, this issue became a great sum of an odd-looking math problem. Almost everything came back into play except the bully from the last several issues, who only served as comic relief, and Laurie Lamaris. And that is some good storytelling, making sure everything comes together in the end. Had Rosakis gone a, a different direction or added a lot more stuff for this last issue, it could have been a train wreck. And again, we get a Frank Miller cover, this time of Superman soaring with an eagle, Again, it's, it's a by-the-numbers in all reality, as far as Superman imagery goes, but Miller's line work is still non-traditional and creates a new impression rather than just rehashing the same thing over and over again. Over and over again. Ah, I have Nellie and Timmaker on my head. Crap. Anyway, Perry was used to his natural extent and made a relevant contribution to the story rather than being shoehorned in. In fact, Perry is the unsung hero of the issue. He uses his instincts to track down the whistle and uses the whistle when the time is right. I think it's very important to point out that Perry used the whistle to summon Superboy when Superboy was needed, not when Perry wanted an interview. Perry could have used that at any time and made his story and gotten the editor's position, yet his natural integrity prevented that. He was going to get the story, don't worry about that, but he's going to do it through more genuine means like elbow grease. However, the chips were down and there was a problem only Superboy could handle, and that is when he used his ace in the hole. Well done, Perry. And I'm actually very glad that Perry came back. It resonated this story all the way back to its origins in the pages of The New Adventures of Superboy and created a full circle effect. To me, and I would say to storytelling as a whole, it's important for a finale to bring as much as possible to a close. For example, the final episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, All Good Things reached back across seven seasons to line up with Encounter at Farpoint, the show's first episode. This created a pair of bookends that framed the entire run of TNG into one cohesive story, and Rosakis does that even if some elements were a bit rushed. For example, Superboy becoming accustomed to his role is done through the dream sequence I mentioned, in which the Kents and the Elves battle and Billy arrives. And Billy says he doesn't hold Clark's inability to save him against Superboy. Well, think about this. This is Superboy's subconscious, not the ghost of Billy. So Superboy absolves himself for not saving his friend, and and while it's right, and he's correct, and it makes sense, it's still quick and an easy way to deal with the problem that has its roots in the previous three issues, and the one-off issue of Superboy that partners with his tail. It's just a quick ending to a good psychological element. And then we're off to fight Luthor, and I would argue that we see Superman and Luthor fight all the time. We... This is Tuesday. But to delve into the psyche of how Superman can live with not being able to save everyone and be everywhere... That's a bit more fascinating. However, I will counter-argue with myself that the other path could have dropped this comic into a well of self-pity and brooding, and that wasn't the mandate of the time. So, it's a bit conflicting. And that's kind of where my big barrier comes with this comic. There's what I want to see, and then there's what's best for the story. Now, Rosakas leaned more for what was best for the story, and gave us a satisfying conclusion. But it felt like it was lacking in terms of how we get from point A to point B. This is Superboy becoming Superman. That is an important element. And yes, it all came together, but I still wanted a bit more of the mechanics behind that. And while some elements felt forced in earlier issues, they actually made sense at the end and kind of rounded out a solid Superman tale. 
So while I felt like I was lacking in some of the whys and wherefores, I didn't feel that I was lacking in entertainment value. I wouldn't put Superman The Secret Years on the list of the best Superman stories ever told, but it is a solid Bronze Age tale to show us a few building blocks to the Man of Steel just before it all got taken apart. And that brings me to an interesting subject, a bit of something I may not be able to cover anywhere else. How much I miss Superboy when John Byrne rebooted everything. It felt like a big element of Superman was gone for me, as I've stated many, many times, as a Superboy fan before as a Superman fan, it naturally evolved. Uh, even though I got used to it and became a child of the post-crisis era, there was always a bit of a gap there for me until Connor came along. And even that was a, a bit lacking in terms of what I missed. But to be able to share some tales of Superboy has been my pure joy and my pure honor. From the solo tales to the Legion to seeing him mature, this segment has always been fun to do. Even with time crunches and technical difficulties and what have you. But it is time for something different, and for the next year I felt ready to take on team-up tales of the Bronze Age Superman, change it up a bit. But I want to take a moment to sincerely thank you all for sharing my love of a teen and his friends in the town of Smallville. And perhaps we will all revisit them soon. This final tale was something that I knew would be on the agenda when the time was right, and it provided the perfect segue to the next phase of Superman in the Bronze Age. As said, I wouldn't put it in the greatest Superman stories ever told, but I'm satisfied when I'm done with the miniseries, and that's a very good thing. But I want to thank you all for listening, and never forget your time in Smallville. And thank you, Dave. Uh, Mike, Thank you again for joining me for these last two episodes and for allowing me to be on view so that we could discuss all this great Superman stuff. Would you please let everyone know where they can find you as if they don't already know? Well, you can find me at Views from the Long Box, which is my main comic book podcast, which is at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. You can also find me on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. With my co-host Jeffrey Taylor, where we talk about the post-crisis Superman, you can find that at the Superman homepage or at my Superman blog, www.fortressofbailey2.com, as well as the Superman Podcast Network. And I'm also affiliated with the Two True Freaks, mainly on their Comics Monthly Monday show, but also you can listen to back episodes of Tales of the JSA with Scott Gardner. Ooh! See, he's all over the place. You can... Basically, just go to iTunes, and you'll find him, really. That's how it works. Uh, but uh, thank you again so much for coming on the show. It was an honor having you. Uh, I, I, and, I don't know uh, about that, sir. It was a, it was a real pleasure, though. I do, uh, <laughs> I do appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's always good to talk to the other Superman guys in the, yes. uh, in, in the network and everything. Uh, you know, I... I, I I've said this before, and I will say it again. While there are many fine Batman podcasts out there, you have the Batman Universe, you know, collection of podcasts and all that. And all those people get along, but they function very much like Batman. You you have the guy at the top, and then all the people who do their shows and are kind of affiliated with it. The Superman podcasters, some of the nicest people you will ever meet in your entire life. Uh, we all like to team up and and work together. Oh. Yes, we you know, do. We're good working on our own in our own little in our own little metropolises, so to speak. Uh, but every once in a while, it's fun to team up and kind of get outside of our comfort zones. These were two amazing issues. We've been literally talking about doing this for almost a year now. So now it's finally done. <laughs> yes. So we uh, it was like we were both planning our stuff at the beginning of the year for this. So this was 
I'm glad we were finally able to get together and do this. Absolutely. Thank you so uh, much, sir. Oh, thank you. And thank you all for listening. And um, once again, join, see, well, Mike won't be here, unfortunately, but come back next week. Again, yes, next week for our Superman in the Bronze Age Christmas special guest star. Well, not guest starring, but and this time joining me on the main part of the episode, J. David Weeder. We'll see you then, guys. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. 